We will begin this day looking at the first 11 verses. We'll read that after a moment of prayer that the Lord will help us to hear Him. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll look at verses, we'll read verses 1 through 11, don't panic. Uh, We might get verse 1 or 2 done. Father, we come before your throne to hear you. Father, you have given us this text this day to strengthen our spirits, to strengthen our resolve, to make us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Father, when I read this, I've heard so much said on this text, and yet, Father, it seems so clear, so plain. Father, help us to hear, help us to see, help us to draw, to receive, to stand, hold fast, that you are the first fruits of many who will be resurrected. In Christ's name, amen. And now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which also you stand, by which you were saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, And he was buried and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then his appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, I am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so we believed." Interesting text. You guys feel like there's only 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians and we're in the 15th. Shouldn't be too long, huh? No worries. I want to tell you a story I heard. Uh, There was a Christian and he was in a museum in Glasgow, Scotland. And he was looking at a picture of the crucifixion. And there was a young boy, a little boy standing there next to him, probably not much more than 10. And he was looking at the picture, and the little boy was just staring intently at the picture. And so the man looked at him, the man being a Christian, looks at the little boy and says, what is this a picture of? And the little boy looks up and says, don't you know? That's our Lord dying on a cross and bearing our sin." And the Christian looked at the little boy and said, Thank you. Thank you. A little bit later in the museum, he was getting ready to leave. He was in the, finishing up the tour of the museum, and there was a tug on his jacket. And he looked down, and there was that little boy. And the little boy looked up at him. He says, pardon me, sir. I forgot to tell you one thing. He's not dead anymore. 
he arose. Okay? That's why people, you, some people, they'll see Christ, uh, uh, they'll have a, a cross, and they may have a Christ on that cross. And for some Christians, that's offensive. Okay? For me, that is offensive. He ain't there. Okay? You can celebrate the cross. I don't have any problem with that. But he ain't on it. He ain't even in the grave. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. See, that's the message of the gospel. That's the heart of chapter 15. You remove that. And Christianity is just another useless human philosophy. Okay? He said, because I live, you shall live also. It was this belief, the resurrection, this belief alone turned the broken hearts of followers of a crucified rabbi into courageous martyrs of the early church. And the only reason they did it was because of the resurrection. But I got to share with you something. The resurrection is the war. That's the point of the war. L.A. Times, top of the religious page, this is the statement. All Christian scholars agree there is no resurrection, unquote. And if you read the article, they say that it is just the wishful thinking of ancient fundamentalists who have lost touch with reality. You know what they say about fundamentalists, right? Not enough fun, too much damn, and not enough mental. But you know what? That's us. I hold to the resurrection. And therefore, I am the focus of the attack. Anyone who holds to the resurrection. Now listen, I want to talk about the resurrection because it's very clear in this text what we're dealing with here. I'm talking about the literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the spiritual transformation of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about the spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm talking the body got up out of the ground. Okay, it was dead three days. And it got up. Okay? And see, Paul addresses this, and he addresses this in possibly the greatest statement on the resurrection that has ever been written. You have to understand this text. And you have to be aware of this text. Because I want you to remember something. Here's what I struggle with with people in the letter to the Corinthians. They get in this esoteric, I don't know what it is, of who are these people. Listen, these are Christians in Corinth. They're Christians. Please hear me. He ain't writing a letter to people that he doesn't know is saved. Okay, you have to remember these two verses in light of everything that you will ever do. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. If we confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Salvation. The basis of salvation 
is a confession of the lordship of the resurrected Christ. Okay? If there's no resurrection of Christ confessed, there is no salvation. Got it? You deny that reality, you are not saved. I don't care what you know. True believers, true Christians have always believed because they had to to be saved. You've got to understand that. You can't, you can't say it's a spiritual thing or it was a, this thing. When you hear a bunch of idiots, and I use that term with no love, find a box of bones and say this is Jesus and Mary Magdalene's bones, I say that you are a pagan headed for hell. His body ain't there. Mary's might be. <laughs> but his ain't. It ain't there. I don't even have to worry about it. I'm not even looking for it. I know where the tomb is. Guess what? It's empty. Anything short of that is blasphemous and is a sign of an unregenerate heart. Why do I get into trouble for that? In the Corinthian church, listen, please hear this well. In the Corinthian church, they were not denying the resurrection of Christ. They were denying the bodily resurrection of the saints. They said that Christ is, listen, if they're denying the resurrection of Christ, he ain't writing them a letter. They're not a church. It's just a group of people. Do you understand that? So they cannot be denying the resurrection of Christ. Why? If I deny that, I'm not saved. You're not a saint. You're not in the body. You're not a Christian. Why would I talk to you? He ain't gonna sit, you know, you read the seven letters of Asia Minor, and everybody goes, oh, these guys are awful. Okay? They are. But you know what? They're believers in Jesus Christ. They are churches. He's writing seven letters to the seven churches. Do you understand that? We've, we've got to get a hold of this. He doesn't write, I'm just going to write, I'm going to write a letter to the Mormon church. They're not saved, but still a God ordained letter. He ain't going to waste the postage. Listen, chapter 15, and you'll see this. It's going to take us a little while to get through it, but you're going to see it. Chapter 15 is not to prove the resurrection of Christ to Christians. Okay? You're not a Christian if you have to come to that conviction. Okay, when you come to that conviction, you will be a Christian. It is not written to convince an unbeliever that Christ really rose. Okay? It is written to prove to the Christians that because he literally, physically, bodily rose, they will also literally, physically, bodily, personally rise from the dead. 
Okay, that's what 15 is written for. That's This chapter's for you and me. It should excite the proverbial socks right off your feet. It should. I mean, he describes it. What are you going to be like? We're going to be like the stars. And we're all going to have a body. It's going to be cool. And we'll be able to travel around space and time and just all kind of weird things. Okay, now I don't know how that works, but I can tell you this. I will have a body that cannot ever sin. I like that idea. My body wakes up in the morning wanting to sin. And then usually by the time I'm trying to go to bed, I'm going to beat it into sin. But anyway, but I, I try to get people to grasp that, that that's, that's the key to understanding chapter 15. He is not writing Christians to convince them that Christ rose from the dead. You don't do that. If I do not confess it, you ain't saved. All right? The Christians were having a problem, not with the resurrection of Christ. They already believed that. They had a problem with what happens to them. Okay, verse 20, just kind of a little bit ahead. Christ was raised from the dead, the what? Of who? Those who are asleep. And then he gives the illustration. Just as death came through one man, guess what? Life came through another one man. And he's talking about us. The whole book. The Listen, this is the thing. This text speaks volumes to you and me today. Okay? And I'll explain it to you as I go through. But what you hear on a daily basis is based on this text, whether you know it or not. Okay? The Corinthians, listen, I want to take you back a few I guess it's been years, hasn't it? The Corinthian church, the true congregation of saints, had allowed themselves to be victimized by the beliefs of their time. Their society had, per, had swamped them. Okay? I look at the church today, and guess what I see? Corinth, except you don't have the cute pillars. There's a pillar style, it's called Corinthian. Anyway, they had fallen prey to everything that the society promoted, even sin. Now, there are things that every one of us in this room are guilty of allowing our society to come in that may or may not be sin, but it may, it has a borderline being an idol on us. I see it all the time. Well, I need to get married. I need to get divorced. I need to get this. I need this. I need this education. I need this job. I need this house. I need this car. I need this. Why? Why? Because the society says what? See, the society doesn't want it to be a want. The society wants it to be a need. They want us to be a need. Basically, what had happened to the Corinthian church is what I see today. The world mixed with the church. There was no delineation between the two. I had a pastor tell me the other day, he said, we need to get our message back. We don't have a message. I said, what do you mean, we? My message ain't changed. You may need to go find yours again, but I haven't lost mine. Now, I haven't gotten through it yet, but I'm still going. (laughs) 
Okay, listen. Bodily resurrection was denied among the Greeks. A physical bodily resurrection. Okay? Um, and and um, it, they did not believe in it. Um, and what had happened is the philosophy, you need to understand something. Greek was the single greatest philosophy of the time of the writing of the New Testament. Though it was under Roman control, most of the people believed that the wisdom was where? Athens. Athens. They believed, that's why when Rome defeated the Greek Empire, they kept it intact because they wanted the libraries and the readings and the philosophies because these were truly intelligent people. And the Greek philosophy was powerful. And they had convinced some that Christ arose, but they drew the line at that. Another city was influenced by this, the city of Ephesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Hermenus and Philetus, what? Said that the resurrection had already taken place. And what that reference, well, does that mean I don't feel resurrected? No, that there was only one resurrection, Jesus Christ. And that's been taken care of. So I want to show you some of this. Go to chapter 17 of Acts, verse 18. Verse 18, Paul is at the core of the philosophical center of the whole world. He's in Athens. And Paul is preaching Jesus. And he's preaching Jesus in a bodily, physical, literal Resurrections. Verse 18. And also some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying... What's this idle babbler wish to say? And others seem to be, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. He's got a new God on the block. Because he is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, he took him and they brought him to the Argapa, you know what it is, saying, we know what this new teaching is. May we know what this, what is this new teaching? Why? Look at verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. (laughs) Nice to know that man hasn't changed. (laughs) A few thousand years, he still likes to blow hot air. (laughs) he begins to preach Paul stood in the midst men of Athens I observe you are very religious and they were they had an idol and an altar everywhere for I wish to pass, I was passing through and examining objects of your to your worship and I, I found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God therefore what you worship in ignorance, this I will proclaim to you. I've stopped, I'm about to make you not ignorant no more. God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, did not dwell in the temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. 
That's a good sermon there. Okay, and as though, since he himself gives to all people life, breath, and all things, and he made from one man every nation of all of mankind to live in the face of the earth, having determined their appointed time and the boundaries of their habitat, habitation, that they would be, they would seek God. Perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. We also are his children, being the children of God. Now, keep that mind going right there, because that has implications that you don't know. Being the children of God, we ought not think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or image formed in art, thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men, by raising him from the dead. What was the response? Verse 32. They heard this resurrection of the dead and they began to sneer. But others says, we shall hear more concerning this. But I want to show you something there. One thing that is key to that text right there. None believed. I mean, some wanted to hear more. Some thought it was the silliest thing they ever heard. But you know what? See, their philosophy ruled. What their society had hit them with, an anti-physical bodily resurrection, they could not believe in a physical bodily resurrection. And I can tell you where it came from. It comes from, if you ever took a philosophy class, you'll know what a waste of time that was. But... It comes in a, a teaching known as philosophical dualism. It comes from a man named Plato. And philosophical dualism says that matter is evil and the spirit is good. You hear that every day in your life today. You cannot hear a politician today who does not have that belief. At least they verbalize it. Okay? So when they died, evil was gone and the soul become immortal. They liked that idea. They liked that idea. And they didn't want anything to do with the body. Okay? It's like, some of you may remember Flip Wilson. Okay? He said, the devil made me do it. Okay? The, the Greeks were walking around and said, the body made me do it. My body is evil. It just went off. and it couldn't. Can you believe it? That's all right. When it dies, guess what? I'll be good and eternal. Here's what Plato said. Quote, The body is a prison that binds the spirit, and a man waits to be released from prison. Unquote. To be resurrected to a Greek, a bodily resurrection would be a second hell. Okay, there's a Greek proverb that says the body, quote, the body is a tomb. I am a poor soul shackled to a corpse, unquote. Okay, Sienna said this. It pleased me to inquire into the eternity of the soul. Nay, to believe it. I surrendered myself to that great hope. 
Unquote. Listen, the Greeks have no problem whatsoever in the immortality of the soul. Seneca said this, When the day shall come, which shall part this mixture of divine and human, here where I found it, I will leave my body, and I myself will give back to the gods. Unquote. That's dualism. That's dualism. The spirit went, went to be resolved to the ancient element of God. See, it, it, go back to 17. Acts 17 says the Stoics were there, and the Stoics are the fathers of what you know today as liberal theology. They, the Stoics believed that God was fire. And he would cast out sparks in each of the humans that were produced. And each human had a spark of deity in it. And when that human body was cast away, then the spark would return back to God who was fire. Okay? That's what the liberal theology teaches. That you have deity. You are part deity. You were made in the image of Christ or in the image of God. No, you have to be transformed into the image of God. That's what it says in the New Testament. Well, I'm in the image of Adam. You don't believe me, I blame my wife for everything. That's what the Stoics, the Stoics were sitting there. That still goes on today. And you know what's so cool about this? Right in the middle of the suburbs of Athens, which is Corinth, there's the Corinthian church believing in a bodily resurrection. Christ had, they have to. Why? You have to believe in the resurrection. Physical, literal, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ or you're not saved. But what had happened is, is that the pressure of the society saying, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. And and you can read uh, a guy named Celsius. 220 AD, I mean a few years later, okay, 220 AD, he says, why in the world, quote, why in the world would I want to come back in a rotting corpse? So they believed, you don't want that. You, you, he says that the body is nothing but the temple for worms. Give it up and let your spirit be immortal. And so you have that banging on you day in and day out. Tell me that you don't have the philosophy of man hammering on you day in and day out. You don't? If you don't think you haven't, tell somebody about Christian counseling. Duck. There is no Christian counseling. It's discipleship. I don't need psychology. I don't want psychology. I ain't wasting my time on psychology. Oh, but you need to have professional. I do need professional help. And Jesus provided it. Gee, many crickets. It's like, well, Jesus saved you, but we better find a psychiatrist to help you. No. He says, I gave you everything you need for life and godliness. Well, except for your mental state. And I've run into a few that you said, that mental state can't be helped. 
Go back to Corinthians 15. Verse 35 for a second. Someone, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? That goes back to the Celsius argument. Celsius says, oh, they're just, why would I want to be carrying around a stinking old carcass? I mean, my spirit's immortal and I've got to carry around this old dead body. See, we, we have to get a hold of this because right in the middle of this philosophy, this society, God dropped a church. And what they were doing is the same thing I see in the church in America today is that we were allowing the pressure and the influences of the world to creep in and dissuade us. It sways our thinking. We had to write a book called Thinking Biblically. And I thought, we don't need a book called Thinking Biblically. We need a book that says read the biblical. You know what? You can't think biblically if you don't read it. Well, but I listen to it. Where? Where do you listen to it? Well, I have a CD or I have a this or I have a that. You're telling me that God couldn't get an accomplishment of reading. No, I think the problem is, is that we won't make the sacrifice of the time it takes to read. We don't want to waste the time. Uh, you know how long that takes. You know what? I, I was a firm believer that if God wanted us to read, he'd have never made cassette tapes. I'll let you ponder that one. What? Okay. And, and why read a big novel when somebody will make a movie of it? Okay. And, and every time you see the movie, it's better than the book or the book is better than the movie. He's the crickets. Okay. But what I have learned in my years in the ministry now is reading is a joy. I take time in it. You know what? I look, I look forward to some of these uh, intercontinental uh, flights. Nobody bothers you, especially if you open a Bible. You open a Bible in your chair, they just freak out. Okay, oh my God, you got one of those. Uh-huh, betcha. Any questions you'd like to ask me? Go ahead. Okay, and they, they won't even talk to you. And it's so nice in my little universe because I can sit down, open my Bible, and everybody's like, <gasps> can, can I get another chair? This guy's one of them. Anyway, we have to read. Why? How do I defend against this? It is everywhere, people. You have an onslaught of it. If you listen to the political jargon that is going on right now, basically what they believe is that the spirit of man is good and he just does bad things. And all we have to do is that man is inherently good and we'll be fine. Really? Well, my Bible says that's a bunch of baloney and I can look on television and say that's a bunch of baloney. Well, but you need to have a seeker-sensitive service. What? Yes, because you ask the people, what are they seeking? Well, I can tell you what they're not seeking. None seek after God, no, not one. So what kind of service am I supposed to have? I have a godless service. Why? Because nobody's seeking after Him. That's what the Bible says. Why do we struggle with that? Well, that's, you just don't understand. Perhaps. Listen, this letter in chapter 15, I want to back up quickly to it and, and just jump in the center of this because he says now. Okay, the word now there in the Greek, verse 1, 
All right, says, I'm on a different subject now. I'm talking about something different. He says, then I make known to you. Now, how important is this? Let me tell you something. This is the first account of the resurrection ever written. It's about 40 years before any of the gospels will be written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And you cannot get as much detail here as you will in the gospels. And he has insight here that we need to pay attention to. It is the oldest record that exists regards to the resurrection. And he says, I make known to you. And then he gives a term of endearment and, 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 and of love, brethren. You don't say brethren to cult followers, to idol worship. You say it to saints. And then he says, the gospel which I, in it literally in the Greek, it says the gospel which I gospelized to you. The good news which I good newsed you with. I like the way he says that. I have a new subject. And then he says, verses 3 and 4 quickly, but I'm going to come back to 1 and 2 because the testimony that you have here is what? You have a church. How can you have a church with no resurrection? With no resurrection. 3 and 4. I delivered to you as of first importance. I also received. What? Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. Okay? He says, listen, Corinth. I love you guys. I strove with you guys. I was there who preached the gospel to you guys. And I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ raised from the dead for the atoning work of sin. You guys have bought into the philosophy of man. It's overwhelming you. So I am going to grab you by the ears, look you right in the face and say, this is the basics. He's already told him in chapter 2, by now you should be. On meat and potatoes. Why do I have to go back? Why? Because you're allowing everything to come into your lives and to sway you. That was obvious. It's obvious throughout this whole book that they were allowing their society to mold them instead of them affecting their society. Why? He says this thing. I preached to you. I gospelized to you. You what? You received it. You received it. But guess what else? You stand in it. Listen, lost people don't receive it. They definitely don't stand in it. And then in verse 2, he says, you are also saved. You're also saved. What is it? Three and four. Most important. What? Basic Christianity. Christ crucified for your sins. Buried three days. Raised. Okay? And then he throws this in just in case you're confused about it. According to the scriptures. Okay? It's it's like we didn't make this up. So the first testimony of the proof of the crucif- of the resurrection, bodily, physical, literal resurrection, is you. 
You who are saved are living proof of the resurrection. I want to make known to you, that is all in the Greek tense emphatic, meaning, hello, I'm speaking to you. Okay, you already know this, and I'm about to slap silly on you. That's emphatic. I preached it, you received it, you stand on it, you were saved by it. You know what that is? Proof of the resurrection. And he's saying, this stuff that is coming at you, stand. Stand. Okay? Now then I want to show you a little thing. Yeah, and I'll pick it up next week. Okay? In the middle of verse 2, see that little bitty word right there? Or in the center of that, it says, if. Okay? You hold fast, and it's literally to what the word which I preached to you. What did I say to you? Okay? And then he makes this statement. Unless you believed in vain. Stop right there. I'll pick that up next week because the word there is intense. I mean, that's an intense phrase because what he's saying is, if you do any tampering at all, with the literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and yourself, what happens? It's in vain. You're not saved. You have deluded yourself. You have deceived yourself. You're playing a game that is going to be awful. And I'll deal with it more next week. But I want you to look at that verse 1 because he says, I give this to you, brethren. A term of endearment. I mean, you use that word in the Greek and it says, I, you need to understand something about you. You are, one of the, you are the most important thing in my life. That's the term brethren. And it was the gospel that I preached to you in which you received which you stand, you are saved. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this for a second. This is the oldest text there is on the resurrection. It is the most definite text of the resurrection. You're going to get stuff out of this text that you can't even, you're not even aware of that you don't even know right now. But I will tell you this, the same philosophy, this dualism, okay, that exists from Plato was the father of it, but by everything I've found, exists today is alive and well and thriving in the body of Christ. Okay? Matter is evil. Flesh is evil. It does bad things. That's all right. I have a spark of deity in me. Let me tell you something. You don't got no sparks. <laughs> lost man got no sparks. What's tragedy about lost man? He don't know he ain't got no sparks. You know what? And unless the Holy Spirit moves on him, he'll never know he's got sparks missing. He's got plugs, no spark plug, no. 
How do you get car parts in a theological debate? Anyway, but see, I want you to understand this because I've had people say, well, isn't this a doctrinal issue? No. If you have to deal with the resurrection, the physical bodily resurrection, that is not a doctrinal issue. That's a salvation issue. And he understands that they believe. But what was happening is there were people coming in who said, well, the resurrection has already happened. Who was a great influence on Ephesus? Athens. Who was a great? Athens influenced everybody. Rome, Asia Minor, the Middle East, all of the Greek Peninsula, everything. What was the common language that everything was written in? Greek. Who established all the great educational centers, whether it be Tarsus or Alexander or Athens? Who who bid them? Greeks. Go to college today. It sounds a lot like those morons. I never heard some of the... Okay, why? Well, we're smart. And yet you can have the LA Times say that all Christian scholars deny... The resurrection. Okay, you know what that makes me? A Christian moron. Now I like that. Because the foolishness of the preaching of the cross is wiser than all wise men. So do you see how this is all kind of tied together? You look at the church today, the greatest onslaught. I was talking to a guy who does a, a evangelistic camp here, and you know what he told me? The greatest trouble and trials that he has for every evangelistic camp is not finding an evangelist or finding Bible teachers. You know what the problem is? Music. Now, what the heck has that got to do with the price of rice in China? Well, music is this or it isn't fast enough, it's too fast, it's too slow, it's not hymns, it's da 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 all the rest of it. You know what I hear today? I like more upbeat music. You know what that is? It's it's the philosophy of the day. It's the philosophy of the day. Why do we allow it to drive us? I see it over and over and over. There is only one way to be saved. There is only one thing you can receive. There is only one thing you can stand on. Preaching of the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel is summarized of first importance this way. He died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to our gospel. Just what the scripture says. Okay? And he is the first fruits of the literal, physical, personal, bodily resurrection of every one of his children. And you will be inundated until the day your faith becomes sight with the change in that. It will be unrelenting and it will come at you in every shape and form and size that you could dream of. That's why it's so important. First testimony is what? The church. Look at the church. The church has to believe in a bodily resurrection. Period. 
If it doesn't, it ain't a church. It's just a gathering of people. And the truth of the matter is, if they don't believe that, it's a gathering of people with a useless human philosophy. As all human philosophy is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've seen what would, it, what would happen. And early, early, you give us the resurrection in quite a bit of detail. Father, thank you. Thank you so much that it is to give us the hope of what lays before us. Why death has no longer mastery over us, has no sting because of the bodily resurrection that each of your children will experience to your glory and praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for perching us out of a horrible place. Blindness, depravity. And yet, Father, we still struggle in these vessels. Help us to fight the good fight. Help us to be workers approved, rightly dividing truth. To your glory and to your praise. Christ's name. Amen.